This podcast is a presentation of Sunset Presbyterian Church. For more information, log on to our website at www.sunsetpres.org. Am I on, Josh? Okay, great, thanks. Well, good morning. Clearly, I'm not Steve. I want to take a moment and pray for Steve. Uh, We began to text last night that he was not feeling well and had laryngitis. And uh, and then this morning texted back to say didn't think it was probably wise to come, which we completely agreed with. Encouraged him, though he kept saying, well, maybe I feel okay. Maybe I can make it. Um, And I think he said it was the first time ever that he's had to pull the plug this late. But by God's grace, he and I had been working on this week's message and next week's message around starting the book of Exodus, and, and so we were able to work something out. So let me open with prayer. Father, we ask this morning that you would give Steve's body and soul rest and healing, that you would do for him what Paul asked of you, when he asked that your power would be made perfect in his weakness. And that's what I pray over Steve this morning, not only for today, but for this week, for next Saturday, and for the rest of this coming year. And uh, we thank you that you brought he and Michelle and the boys here, and that they are among us. And we thank you for the ministry that you have done through them. And now this morning I pray for healing. And then, Father, I pray that it would be your words that would be spoken this morning. Your word is so rich and so deep. And these stories are not just Bible stories. They are our stories. And so I pray that you would speak to us today in Jesus' name. Amen. Well, there will be no PowerPoint or anything like that. So this is old school morning. So get out your Bible whether it's the one in front of you or whether you access it on your phone, we are beginning a series in the book of Exodus. And Exodus essentially means rescue or to be brought out of. And uh, and again, this is not just Israel's story. This is our story. And I was thinking this morning um, that if you're a new believer, if you're new in your faith journey, if you've just returned to a journey of following Christ, This story is for you because it really mirrors what happens in our own walk with God when we are rescued out of sin and out of darkness and out of the grip of Satan and out of this world and asked to go on a journey with God to a promised land. But we're not going to start this morning in Exodus. I'll go back to it. We're actually going to start in Acts. So turn to Acts chapter 7, and this is the amazing sermon that Stephen gave um, that actually led to his becoming the first martyr for the cause of Christ. And so he is uh, defending the faith, defending the story, and defending who Jesus was as the final and great prophet, the Messiah, in this message where he goes back through the history of his own people and literally lays out how they got to Jesus. And it's so it's in that context that I want to pick up a couple of verses that tell the story of Moses, who, of course, is one of the main characters in the book of Exodus. 
So in verse 17 of chapter 7 of Acts, it says, As the time drew near for God to fulfill his promise to Abraham, and again, let's recall, what was God's promise to Abraham? You have to go back to Genesis 15 for this. But in that chapter, God says to Abraham, I will bless you, and I will make you a great nation, though he only had two offspring and one was not the chosen one. But he said, I will make you a great nation, and I will use you to bless all the peoples, all the other nations. So that was God's promise, and God is about to continue to fulfill that promise. As the time drew near for God to fulfill his promise to Abraham, the number of our people in Egypt had greatly increased. Remember, we left off in Genesis with the story of Joseph and all of Joseph's brothers and his father coming down uh, to, to Egypt and the Pharaoh giving them a piece of property on which they could, uh, they could live and raise their families because Joseph had blessed Egypt. He had blessed Egypt as the vice regent of one of the largest famine relief programs probably in human history. And so because of that great blessing, his people were given a place and they became fruitful and they multiplied. And we'll hear about the rest of the story here. Verse 18, then a new king to whom Joseph meant nothing came to power in Egypt. And he dealt treacherously with our people and oppressed our ancestors by forcing them to throw out their newborn babies so they would die. So apparently what was happening is the Israelites were so fruitful and they were multiplying that they decided that they would basically do a population reduction program, but a very cruel one. And so they commanded, the Pharaoh commanded that the midwives take all of the baby boys that were born and throw them in the river. Or kill them, but primarily that was the means they used. And so to drown them after they were born. But the midwives refused to do this. But still, many, many baby boys were killed as a result of this pharaoh. Now, where's another story in the Bible where baby boys' lives are taken? Can you think of one? Yes, at the time of Jesus' birth. This is all there for a purpose, because all of Scripture always is pointing forward to the true Messiah. But Moses becomes the first deliverer of God's people that is chosen. So, verse 20. At that time, this time in Israel's history, where they're beginning to be oppressed— Baby boys are being killed. Moses was born, and he was no ordinary child. I have thought about that line so many times, and actually, if you want to put your finger in Acts 7 and go back over to Exodus chapter 2, it says, Now a man of the tribe of Levite married a Levite woman, and she became pregnant and gave birth to a son. And when she saw that he was a fine child, now, who decides if someone has a fine child? My guess is that all of you who have children, your baby was born. First of all, let me tell you, the baby was not as pretty as you think it was. Okay? And you probably have the pictures to prove it. But you thought this boy or girl was a fine child, right? So who decides this kind of thing? What is Scripture trying to tell us about Moses? 
that Moses was called to something unique. But here's what I want you to hear as we walk through this story today. It isn't a path that most of us would have chosen for someone who was no ordinary child. It wasn't the same kind of path. Okay, back over to Acts chapter 7. When he was placed for three months, he was cared for by his family. Okay, let's get a little backstory on that. I'm going to be flipping back and forth if you want to just have your finger in Exodus and Acts, which, by the way, is easier to do in a book than on your phone. Just saying. Okay. Um, then it says in Acts chapter 2, but she could hide, um, or when she saw that he was a fine child, she hid him for three months. When she could hide him no longer, apparently he was getting too loud, too boisterous, not sure. When she could hide him no longer, she got a papyrus basket for him and coated it with tar and pitch. And then she placed the child in it and put it among the reeds along the bank of the Nile. And his sister stood at a distance to see what would happen to him. So there we get the backstory. So she knows he's no ordinary child. She wants to spare his life. Apparently the midwife that, gave her, that helped give her birth spared his life. She keeps him as long as she can, but she knows that someone's going to discover him and drown him. Interesting that she does what the government was told them to do, what the Pharaoh told them to do. She put him in the river. The difference was in a basket, in a basket. Um, so back to Acts seven twenty one. When he was placed outside, now again that little. When he was placed outside, when you're three months old and you're put in a basket and put out on a river, and in a moment we'll find out that when the princess who adopts him finds him, he's crying. Do you know why you've been put in a basket on the river? Does your brain understand that you have not been abandoned? Nope. In his, in his story, he's been abandoned. He's been placed on a river and set free, floating off. Uh, he doesn't know what's going to happen to him. Um, so when he was placed outside, given up, Pharaoh's daughter took him and brought him up as her own son. Okay, back over to Exodus. Um, We have a sister standing at a distance to see what would happen to him. Notice it wasn't to rescue him. It was just to see what would happen. Moses' mother had to trust that God must have had a plan for her to do what she did. Then uh, Pharaoh's daughter went down to the Nile to bathe, and her attendants were walking along the riverbank, and she saw the basket among the reeds and sent her female slave to get it. And she opened it and saw the baby. Now, it's a Hebrew baby. How would she have known it was a Hebrew baby? Circumcision. That's right. There was no mistake. This was not an Egyptian child. This was a Hebrew baby. She opened it and saw the baby. He was crying. And she felt sorry for him. Um, And this is one of the Hebrew babies, she said. Then his sister asked Pharaoh's daughter, shall I go get one of the Hebrew women to nurse the baby for you? Now that's one smart little cookie, isn't it? Hey, looks like she's got taken a liking to him uh, and, you know, looks like there's some, she wants to save the child. I can help with that. Um, and Pharaoh's daughter said to her, take this baby 
and nurse him, take this baby and nurse him for me, and I will pay you. Um, So the girl went and got the baby's mother before that. And so the woman took the child, the baby, and nursed him. And when the child grew older, she took him to Pharaoh's daughter, and he became her son. And she named him Moses. He was not named by his Hebrew parents. He was named by an Egyptian princess, Moses, saying, I drew him out of the water. That was the meaning of his name. And so, <clears throat> and so she, he grows up in an Egyptian household. Now, think about this for a moment. You have to go with me here. I want to paint around the edges of the Bible story a little bit because these are real stories with real people. If you think about all the implications of this, it's really wild. So he has now been adopted by an Egyptian princess, but he's being nursed for anywhere from a year to two, probably not more than three years, by his own Hebrew mother. As she's, and any of you that have breastfed know that's a very precious time with your child. It's a time of bonding. It's a time of connection. What is she saying to Moses as she's nursing him? What is she saying to him? What is she singing over him? What is she praying over him? I have no idea. But my guess, having watched mothers, she's saying something to him, isn't she? Did she say... You are not one of them. You are going to grow up in a world of privilege, but you are not one of them. You are God's child. You are there for a reason. I don't know. I'm making that up. I'll fully confess. But what did she say over this baby? So then, back to Acts chapter 7, verse 22, we're told... Moses was educated in all the wisdom of the Egyptians and was powerful in speech and action. Did you know that? Moses had an MBA from an Egyptian graduate school. And he could speak. And he could strategize. He was powerful in speech and action. He could keep up with his brothers, Egyptian brothers. Um, And so we have this picture of Moses that is not the picture that most of us carry once we meet him later down the road, isn't it? When Moses, verse 23, when Moses was 40 years old, he decided to visit his own people. Now, what happens at 40? Not to everybody, but we have a name for it in our world today. They did not have a name for it then. What what happens around 40 to some people? Midlife crisis. And what is usually a midlife crisis about? Who am I? Who am I? I want to figure out who I am. I mean, because when you're a Hebrew and you're dressed like an Egyptian, and I won't do the (laughs) Steve Martin dance, but, you know, when you're a Hebrew, you're dressed like an Egyptian, and you you can't stand in your graduate MBA class and point out the window and say, see those slaves out there? Those are my people. You've got to act like, fit in, become part of an Egyptian world. 
And all the while, every time he looks in the mirror, he knows he doesn't have their skin tone. He doesn't look like his brothers, but they are his brothers. No matter how much he tries, he's not Egyptian. He's Hebrew, but he grows up in an Egyptian world. Somewhere around 40, guess what he wants to do? He says, wait a minute, who am I? I want to go visit my people. I'm not one of these. I mean, I I am kind of one of these. I'm in this world. I'm a prince by virtue of who my mother is and who her father is. But I'm also a Hebrew. I don't know who I am. So when Moses was 40 years old, he decided to visit his own people, the Israelites. And he saw one of them being mistreated by an Egyptian. So he went to his defense and avenged him by killing the Egyptian. Now, I won't flip back over into Exodus, but you can read this story. And literally, in Exodus, we're told that he comes upon this, this Egyptian slave master. It's not a particularly prestigious position to be in, but he's got power over these people. And he sees him mistreating one of his own people. And it literally says he looked this way and he looked that way. He thought nobody was looking, so he killed the taskmaster. You know, the odds are he may have had a reason to do so, although probably wouldn't have gone over real well with Pharaoh. And we do find out in in Exodus that Pharaoh was angry about it. But he probably could have defended it. He could have said, hey, he was being cruel, except I'm not sure Pharaoh cared about the cruelty of his slave masters. But nonetheless, he thinks, I can help. I have power. I have position. I can make a difference here. And so he kills the taskmaster. Um, And then it says, Moses thought, and by the way, I love it, Stephen kind of gives us this inside idea of what was going on inside of Moses. And I assume it's relatively accurate Uh, though he's telling a story because it's inspired by the Holy Spirit. But he says Moses thought that his own people would realize that God was using him to rescue them. Sounds reasonable, doesn't it? If you grew up, if you're Hebrew, you grew up in an Egyptian world, you you could help out these people, right? But they did not. Next three words. But they did not. So the next day, Moses came upon to Israel. So he goes back the next day. Again, he wants to connect with his people. You know, he wants to connect with them. He goes back the next day, and he came upon two Israelites who were fighting. And he tried to reconcile them, which is interesting in light of our conference coming up here. He tried to reconcile them by saying, men, you are brothers. Why would you want to hurt each other? Do you know what I hear in that statement? I don't really have a brother. You look like each other. You've grown up in the same world. You're in the same trench together. You're brothers. I've got brothers, but I don't look like them. I'm not their same nationality. I don't really fit in with them, but I don't really fit in with you either because I'm not really one of you. But you're brothers. Why would you fight? If you actually had a brother, why would you just not live in harmony with that brother? Why do you want to hurt each other? But the man who was mistreating the other pushed Moses aside and said, 
Who made you ruler and judge over us? And now he finds out somebody was watching. Are you thinking of killing me just as you killed the Egyptian yesterday? And when Moses heard this, he fled to Midian, where he settled as a foreigner and had two sons. Moses said, oh my gosh, I don't fit in anywhere anymore. Nowhere. I don't have a place. I don't have a place. He goes to Midian. He meets a Midianite family. He falls in love with the daughter. The daughter falls in love with him. And he joins them. Why not? And here's for 40 more years. This happens at 40. The next 40. And by the way, Stephen does Moses' life in three 40-year chunks. 40, 40, 40. Second 40, he's living on the backside of a wilderness as a foreigner. He doesn't fit in anywhere, and he's just a shepherd. And I would love to know what was happening in those 40 years. We're not told. Did he think about God? I don't think he could forget his own people. Did he think about the Egyptians? Did he wonder about his story? Did he think, what was all this for? What's the meaning of all this? Or did he just simply say, "Ah, I don't care. Lean on his staff, watch his sheep. You know, just try to build a life. Two sons, got a family. This is the rest of my life. Don't you think? 40 years. 40 years on the backside of a desert. But you see, what God knew that Moses did not know is that all the places that he wandered around with or led his sheep through were the same places he would lead the people of God through. What he didn't know is he was mapping out their journey. He was learning the ins and outs of places that he would lead God's people during that time. He didn't know it. He thought, this is the rest of my life. Okay, let's pick the story back up again. Verse 30. After 40 years passed, an angel appeared to Moses in the flames of a burning bush in the desert of Sinai. Now, you got to understand, this is desert. So apart from tumbleweeds, which I hear are a real problem in eastern Washington, apart from tumbleweeds, there isn't much to burn in the desert. And even a tumbleweed burns pretty quickly, and then it's gone, right? There's no fuel. So if you see something burning and it just burns and burns and doesn't go out, you want to know what's going on. Um, and he, uh, after 40 years, an angel appeared to Moses in the flames of a burning bush in the desert of Sinai, and when he saw this, he was amazed at the sight. What's going on here? And as he went over to get a closer look, he heard the Lord say, I am the God of your fathers, the God of Abraham. Isaac and Jacob. Wow, when was the last time he thought about those people? When was the last time he identified with his own heritage? And Moses trembled with fear and did not dare to look. And then the Lord said to him, and remember, why does Moses think he's on the backside of a desert? Why does he think he's there? What do you think? Because he made a mistake. Because he messed up. 
Because he did something he shouldn't have done. And this is his punishment, right? That's what he's doing out here. And he could never go back. And so his assumption is, I'm here because I did something wrong. And the Lord said to him, take off your sandals. For the place where you're standing is holy ground. I don't know where you are in your life. I don't know if you think you're in a place of your own making. I don't know if you feel like a foreigner where you are or like you don't fit in, you don't have a people. I don't know if you think this is it, this is my life, not what I thought it would be. Great disappointment. I'm here to tell you, you might be standing on holy ground. You don't know. You might be standing on holy ground. And God said to him, I have indeed seen the oppression of my people in Egypt. And I would hope so, because it's been 40 years. You know, I mean, once in a while, do you ever just want to say what you're thinking when you read the Bible? (laughs) Yeah, God, I hope you saw it. It's been 40 years, and it's only gotten worse, as we're going to discover. It's only gotten worse since Moses left 40 years earlier. I hope you've seen it, God. God's timing is not ours, is it? It really is not. He said, Then the Lord said to him, Take off your sandals, for the place where you're standing is holy ground. I've indeed seen the oppression of my people in Egypt. I've heard their groaning and have come down to set them free. And I love that because oftentimes when God sends us, we kind of think we're alone. God didn't just send Moses. He said, I've come down. I am going to set my people free. Now come. I'm going to set my people free. Now come. I'm sending you back to Egypt. And by the way, if you go back over now to Exodus for just a moment, and we look at this conversation between God and Moses in Exodus chapter 3, we learn a couple of very important things. One of the observations I want to make is There was nothing wrong with Moses' desire at age 40 to connect with his own people. I think in one sense he must have had a foretaste of how God might use him. He kind of sensed, I think think that I could use the fact that I'm an Egyptian, my position, my power, to help my own people. And indeed, that is what God did, isn't it, in the end. But I think the first time he went, he sent himself. You ever had a sense that maybe God wants to use you in your way, but rather than waiting for God, you send yourself? I've done that. And it doesn't always turn out so well. And I love, though, that God was still being faithful to his call on Moses' life. And I think the reason I wonder, again, put my counselor hat on for just a second, forgive me. I wonder if he sent himself because... His primary motivation the first time was, I have a wound that I'd like to heal. I'd like to connect with my people. Maybe they would help me feel whole and complete and better. And again, there's nothing wrong with that desire. We all were born with that desire to connect. But God said, I need you to connect with me, Moses, in a far deeper way before I send you to connect with those people. I said that Moses was probably having an identity crisis. Who am I? 
Which is interesting because here's what God says to Moses at the burning bush in Exodus chapter 3. First of all, in verse 11, we're told, But Moses said to God, Who am I? Who am I that I should go to Pharaoh and bring, bring the Israelites out of Egypt? I mean, in his mind, he's thinking, I already tried that. I already tried to help once. You know what that led to me? Not only was I then rejected by my own people or the people I grew up with, the Egyptians, but now my own people rejected me. Nobody wants me, God. Who am I that you would send me back? And God said, I will be with you. And this will be the sign to you that it is I who have sent you. When you have brought the people out of Egypt... You will worship God on this mountain, this place where you're standing. You're going to bring these people back to it. And Moses said to God, suppose I go to the Israelites and say to them, the God of your fathers has sent me. And they ask me, well, what is his name? Then what should I tell them? Remember, I'm suggesting that Moses' question is, who am I? Here's God's answer. God said to Moses, I am who I am. This is what you shall say to the Israelites. I am has sent you. We do not know who we are. We cannot answer the who am I question until we go and meet the I am. He's the one who reveals our true identity. He's the one that tells us who we are, what we've been sent to do, what he wants us to do with our life, whether we're getting the MBA degree and powerful in speech and action or whether we're feeling like a complete another failure on the backside of a desert. Back over to Acts, last section. Now come, I will send you back to Egypt, God says to Moses. Verse 35, now this is Stephen's commentary. He says, this is the same Moses that they had rejected with the words, who made you ruler and judge? He was sent to be their ruler and deliverer by God himself. Remember, I'm suggesting that the first time Moses kind of sent himself, but this time God sends him. Though through the angel who appeared to him in the bush, and he led them out of Egypt and performed wonders and signs in Egypt at the Red Sea and for 40 years in the wilderness. This is the Moses who told the Israelites. And by the way, given who he was, he could have said, finally, finally, I know who I am. I am the leader and the deliverer of my people. But that's not who Moses came to know. That's not who he understood himself to be. This is who he understood himself to be. This is the Moses who told the Israelites God will raise up for you a prophet like me from your own people. And this prophet was in the assembly in the wilderness with the angel who spoke to him on Mount Sinai and with our ancestors, and he received living words to pass on to us. Stephen is now pointing them to Jesus. And in fact, his reference is from Deuteronomy 18.15, a passage that prophesies about a one who will come, and that one was Jesus. And the whole story is not just a story of Moses and the Exodus, but it is the story of Jesus. 
And that's what we're called to see in this story of the Exodus. Amazing that God would use this man, this no ordinary child, but he would use him through his own humanity, through his own wounds. God wouldn't, there was nothing wasted in Moses' life. That thing that he did that he thought was such a horrible mistake turned out to be a fertile ground of preparation for him to go back and do the thing his heart longed to do, which was lead and connect with his people. And God would use that. Nothing would be wasted. I don't know where you're at today in your life, but I'm here to tell you the book of Exodus is for you. Let's pray. Father, as we now come to this time of communion, we ask that just as Moses pointed to Jesus, so would we in everything that we do and the sacrifice that he made on our behalf. In Jesus' name, amen. The God who placed Moses in a basket through his mother's hands and set him out on the River Nile, who was found by a princess, who was raised in an Egyptian household, who then wanted to connect with his people, but then was out on the backside of a desert, who God then called through a burning bush and sent back to rescue his people, that God went with him. And that God... Who, who is who we just sang about is the same God here today who wants to take us as a church on that same journey. Since it is a house of prayer, and I want to ask those that are elders and prayer intercessors to come forward, if there was a week uh, when we as a church should be praying together, I think this is it for reconciliation, that God would do his work We're going to be ministered to by a group of people, but it is God's work that will be done. So we want to pray for that this week. And if you have needs on your heart, come and pray with someone. Bring them here. We would love to pray with you. And may your question of who am I be answered by the great I am. And may wherever you find yourself that you think is just simply a wilderness be holy ground. Amen.